Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. There's something about faith that God will pass over a million people just to get to you. And uh, we've titled this broadcast today, What Faith Is, or How Do You Increase Your Faith, The Unlimited Power of Faith, The Force of Faith. How do you increase that faith? Because if you read the book of Romans, which I'm going to read it right now, Romans chapter 12. By the way, if you're just joining me, uh, I would be greatly helped if you would share the broadcast. Like it if you're on YouTube, comment as much as you can, help us beat the Facebook and YouTube algorithms. So this is the type of continent that goes viral instead of a cat doing a backflip. That would help me a lot. So if you can share it, share it as many times as you can. And uh, let's, let's, let's pump the numbers today and get this word out to as many people as possible. Because remember, the harvest truly is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. But today, you can enroll yourself into the army of God simply by sharing a broadcast. You know, the Bible says that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, back in the day, that, w- that meant you leaving your house, leaving your family. That meant you having to take a mule and just like going on mule back across European, the European continent or the Middle Eastern deserts, whatever. Nowadays, all you have to do to share the gospel is to click share. It's the easiest it's ever been to get the gospel into the hearts of people. So help me out today and, um, and God will bless you for it. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. I want to read the scripture because it's imperative before I move on to anything else to get this understand, understood in you. Romans chapter 12, let's start with verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the word of God, so that you can prove to this generation and to our world what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, Paul speaking, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each person a measure of faith. The first thing I want you to type out in this broadcast, because I want you to, I want you not just to think it, I want you to actually write it out so it becomes a little more real to you. The first thing I want you to type out and comment today is I have faith. I have faith. If you're a born again believer, if you belong to the family of God, if you're saved, if you have a regenerated spirit, if you call Christ Lord and Savior of your life, the Bible says you have faith. There's too many people that live a very condemning Christianity. They're constantly beating themselves up for a lack of faith. They beat themselves up because they're always saying, I never have enough faith. I don't seem to have faith for this. And they get into this like cruel 
self-condemning thought and uh, thought pattern that just crushes them and discourages them from ever even taking a step towards growing their faith. But I want to show you first and foremost from the scriptures. The Bible says you have faith. Well, how do we know that? Because you couldn't even get saved without faith. For it's by grace through faith are you saved. So if you claim to be saved, if you have Jesus in your life, then you have to come to the acknowledgement that I obviously have faith in me. Even if I don't feel like I have faith, even if I don't sense faith in me, even if I don't think I have faith, I know because the Word of God tells me so, I have faith faith now that's the lead me to my next my next uh, point is that there are different levels of faith there are people who operate in a high level of faith there are people who operate in a very regular level of faith then there's others who operate in a very low level of faith and then there's still others who have zero faith those are unbelievers that's not you listening to, to me right now unless you don't know Jesus and and if that's your if that's the case I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this broadcast to, 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 to enter into the family of faith but if you're a believer you're not part of that class you have faith however even if you feel like you have little faith I want to show you keys from the Word of God that'll enable you to not just, you know, you can't pray for your faith to grow. That's not how it works. Scripturally, it does not work that way. Jesus, when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, show us how to increase our faith. He didn't say, you're just to pray, pray that your faith increases and trust God for the process. No, the Bible says he actually said, if you have faith, then one of the ways, which I'll get into it, one of the ways you can increase your faith is by your confession. You will say unto this mountain, Be thou uprooted and moved into the sea, and it shall obey you, and nothing shall be impossible to you. He actually shows them it's not a problem. Uh, your problem isn't that you have no faith because you believe in me. The problem is, is you haven't learned how to exercise that faith and operate that faith so that it can grow more efficiently. So I want to go through four categories, four levels of faith that people operate in on the earth number one and remember it's your level of insight in the word of god that determines the level of faith you operate in so it's not just you know they always talked about smith wigglesworth like he was some special guy that god had a you know a special anointing on him and he was especially anointed and that you know don't expect to go out and do the exploits wigglesworth did because he he was the apostle of faith so don't don't go on and think that you can do those things. You know, that's how a lot of religion talks. They, they have this uh, several classes of Christians and that there's only a select few individuals that can operate in the highest class of Christianity and everyone else is pretty much to fend and feed off the crumbs. I'm going to tell you first and foremost, the Bible says that when Jesus died on that cross, he enabled, he opened up a way for every Christian Every person, every individual, every human being that walks the earth to enter into the fullness of God. If you read Ephesians chapter 3, the scripture says, 
that um, Paul was speaking to the Ephesian church and he said uh, that I want you to know the length, the breadth, the height, and the width of the love of God so you can operate into the fullness of God. You can operate the fullness of God's power here on the earth. You don't have to just fend off the crumbs that fall from the table of the master. No, you are no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner to the house of God. You're no longer a stranger to the to the household of the faith you are now a common citizen you are a citizen of heaven and a member of the house of God and just like any family that has multiple children you don't want some of your kids to succeed and the rest of your kids to just you know venture through life aimlessly hoping things work out you don't want one kid to become you know a a, a great entrepreneur and the other one to be a failure and impoverished no you want all of your children to succeed you want every single one of your kids to be the best version uh, or reach the potential of god for themselves on the earth well it, who do you think put that in your heart for your own kids god because you are if you're a if, you're, if you've received Christ, the Bible says, to them gave he power to become children of God. You're a child of God. God wants his best for you. He doesn't want you to, 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 to operate on a natural playing field like the rest of the world operates on. The scripture says very clearly, we are a royal priesthood. We're God's holy nation. We're a chosen generation. And we're called forth to proclaim the praises of God. To show forth His glory here on the earth. Just like Abraham. Abraham, whom they call the father of faith. He had an extraordinary life. Because he took God at His word. He wasn't, you know, some struggling human being through life. You got to get that out of your head. You weren't called to struggle. You were called to have dominion over the things that used to have dominion over you. You weren't called to struggle. You know, everybody loves to hashtag, the struggle is real. Hashtag, the struggle is real. The struggle ain't real if you're in Christ. The struggle is over. Jesus, while he hung on that cross, his dying words before he breathed his last was not, it shall be finished. It wasn't, it will one day be over. It wasn't one day I'll get the victory. The last words Jesus uttered on that cross were, it is finished. It's finished. My struggle with the forces of darkness have ended. My struggle with devils and demons have ended. Sure, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against forces of darkness and principalities. However, if God be for me, it's not going to be a struggle. Jesus said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not uh, contend. He didn't say you're going to contend with demon forces. He says, thou shalt trample upon scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the devil. So quit thinking life's going to be a drudgery. As long as you think that, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, your thoughts have the power to either capture and arrest you and deplete energy within you to ever excel and do well, or your power, your thoughts are going to be used as they're energized by the word of God to launch you forward into God's best for you on the earth. You remember Proverbs chapter four, the scripture says, that's right, Jolene. 
We are more than conquerors. Romans chapter 8. We're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. You know what a conqueror is? A conqueror is someone who goes to war, sweats sweat, bleeds blood, has to fight, wake up early, train, exercises himself to be able to handle his enemies, goes to war, spends out who knows how long, you know, years battling out the enemy and then comes back home and then the rest of the nation gets to enjoy the sacrifice paid by those soldiers. That's a conqueror. That guy was a conqueror. He went out and fought the fight. You know who's more than a conqueror? Is his wife who stayed at home and the family that stayed at home and they didn't have to, they didn't have to lift a finger to go to war or do anything. They just get to enjoy the freedom that soldiers went and died and paid the price for. Well, Jesus was the conqueror and is the conqueror. He went and fought the fight that we could never even fight. He bled the blood that we could never bleed. Because, it, you know, people always say, it should have been us on that cross. And I think I've been guilty of saying that. But really, when you think of it, you being on that cross wouldn't have satisfied the wrath of God because you don't have perfect blood. You don't have spotless blood. Your blood is tainted before Christ. Your blood was tainted by sin. Your blood was tainted by envy. Your blood was tainted by the poison and venom of sin. So it wouldn't have sufficed. It wouldn't have been sufficient. Jesus was the perfect, spotless, without blemish Lamb of God, who through the eternal Spirit has sacrificed his, his, his life and has now entered in to the most holy place to, re, to obtain eternal redemption for you and I. That's why Jesus is the conqueror. He conquered sin and death. He conquered the demon and his for, the devil and his forces. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Revelation 1, John on the island of Patmos beheld him. And he said, I, I saw him whose eyes were like a flame of fire. I saw him whose whose hair was white as wool, whose face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. And I fell as one dead. And he laid his hand on me and lifted me up. And he said, don't be afraid. Hallelujah. I am he who was dead. But behold, I live and I hold the keys of death hell and the grave. Jesus conquered the forces that were against us. But understand this, we are told, we are said to be more than conquerors. Because while Jesus went to war against the forces of darkness and obtained our redemption, all we have to do is believe and receive. You don't even have to lift a finger. You just have to believe what Jesus did for you, what he died for, what, what he died for. You just have to understand that his blood was shed. He took stripes on his back. He was the Bible says wounded so that we can be healed. And as such, the benefits, that's why David said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I'm telling you, this Christian life is not a life uh, without benefits. The Christian lifestyle is a life that's loaded with benefits. David said, I'll not forget his benefits. He forgives all my sins. He doesn't forgive some of my sins. I'm not half forgiven. I don't have to dwell 
dwell on my past because he blotted out my sins and transgressions by his own blood and his and my sins the bible says my sins and my lawless deeds he doesn't remember anymore you know what that tells you anytime the devil tries to remind you of your past why don't you remind him of his past where he's been a failure all throughout history time and time again he's attempted things against the people of god but he's only failed miserably and then don't stop there don't just remind him of his past begin to remind him of his future that there one day is a lake of fire that's prepared for him that him and those who've lined up with the forces of hell will be there eternally i tell you whatever you've done in your past second corinthians 5 17 if there's be if there be any man in christ i'm in christ if you're in Christ, this applies to you. The old things have passed away. The old lifestyle is gone. As long as you've repented, as long as you're living a life of continual pursuit after God and His purposes, the old is passed away. Doesn't matter what you've done. I feel there's some people, maybe you had an abortion when you weren't serving the Lord. God doesn't remember that. If you've repented and you've asked God to forgive you, that abortion is under the blood. If you've murdered someone, if you've committed a adultery if you've you know done all kinds of drunkenness and partying and debauchery it's under the blood you are now redeemed the oldest past you are now a new creature in Christ Jesus and the Bible says he has cleansed you he has sanctified you and he has justified you by his spirit hallelujah hallelujah forget not all his benefits he heals all your diseases not some of your diseases, all your diseases. Well, I know I, I've heard, you know, God heal others, but you know, I've never heard of someone being healed of, you know, put insert your disease here. I've never heard. Who cares if you haven't heard of someone being healed of that? If God can raise the dead, then what do you think stage four cancer is to him? He, he doesn't even have to bat an eye for that thing to blow off your life. God is eager. You have to get this picture of Jesus in your spirit. Man, we're at 98 people watching us live. This is the most we've ever had on any broadcast. If you're just joining me right now, share the broadcast. Like it if you're on YouTube and share it on YouTube. Thank you so much for joining me today. He heals all my diseases. If God can raise the dead, who cares about what you have? You think it's hard? I mean, look, Moses gets to a Red Sea. Talk about impossible situations. But you know what? That's why I'm taking the time to preach on faith. Because faith gives you victory over impossible situations. Stop bringing up how hard your case is to God. Stop doing that. If there's something you can discipline yourself, prayer is not you going into the prayer closet so that you can complain about your situation or you can talk about it, about how hard it is and just reason it out. No, Proverbs 3, we are to trust in the Lord with our hearts and lean not on our own understandings. Stop trying to reason out how it's going to get done. Dig the valley full of ditches and God's going to fill it. Do your little part. Like Moses, he took the rod. And he waved it over the sea. He did what he as a human was able to do. And God did what he as God is able to do. Take God at his word. Don't dwell on the difficulties of what you're facing. Dwell. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, Whatsoever is true, 
whatsoever. First of all, before that, 4.6 says, don't be anxious about anything. You know what happens when you start thinking about how hard things are and impossible things will be? You start to get anxious. You start to get a little worried. You, you're, you start to get, you know, racing thoughts. Proverbs 4 says that we are to guard our hearts above everything else for out of it flows further issues in life. So if you don't have a guard over your heart, what you dwell on, what you meditate on, you're going to, the issues of life are going to multiply because anxiety does exactly that. Anxiety is an inward uh, expression and an outward expression at that of a faith in what the devil has done and can continue to do. Peace, peace. The Bible says be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and thank Him for it. So we don't just thank, we don't just, Lord, I need this done and then go out and complain about it. No, Lord, this is what I need done in my life. This is where I know things are out of line uh, in my life. And your word says it's not to be out of line in those areas. So Father, I ask you to do something about it. And then the Bible says we're to couple that prayer of request, of petition with thanksgiving. Now, what do you do the next time you think about your problem? You don't have to go back to God and say, Lord, I need this done again. No, you already asked once. If my kid came up to me and said, Dad, I would like some yogurt. And then I give him the yogurt and he holds the yogurt in his hand. And then he start, continues to ask me, Father, I'd like some... Father, he doesn't call me Father. Dad, I'd like some... Uh, he doesn't call me anything. He can't even speak. He says, Dada. He's like a year and a half. But hypothetically, if this happened. Dad, I would like some more yogurt. And I just looked at him and said, I gave you the yogurt. Yes, but Dad, I would like yogurt. I gave you the yogurt. If I emptied out the whole fridge and gave him all the yogurt he wants, and he keeps asking me, Dad, I'd like some yogurt. I, you have it. So what do you do when you ask and make requests your request known to God. You do, until you see it manifest in the physical, you begin to lift up your hands and say, Father, I thank you that I have my yogurt. Father, I thank you that I'm healed in my body. I don't, Romans chapter 4, Abraham grew strong in faith, for he did not consider his own body. He did not consider his own situation. He didn't look to Sarah's womb. She was 90 years old. Nothing was growing in there. He didn't take time to incline his ear to the report of his OBGYN telling him that your wife is never going to conceive at this age. He didn't incline his ear to negative reports. The Bible says in Proverbs, incline thine ear ear to my word. Learn to direct your focus, your ear gate and your eye gate to the word of God. And you'll see how quickly anxiety will lose its grip on your life because the word births, births faith in your heart. And the answer, the cure to the spirit of fear, which is the, the root of anxiety, is not you know, squeezing your eyes and just hoping it goes away. No, the cure to the spirit of fear is the spirit of faith. And that spirit of faith grows in you as you think on, dwell on, and meditate upon God's word. Hallelujah. I, 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 I declare today in the name of Jesus, I pray a grace be released on your life to have an unusual appetite for the word of God. I pray an unusual hunger for God's word come on you and grip you and arrest you, that it'll drive you to study this word so that you're approved unto God. You know, there's too many lazy Christians in the body of Christ where they just, 
you know, they try and contract their prayer out to others. And there's nothing wrong with getting people to pray with you. Absolutely not. Paul said uh, to keep him in prayer. It, it, you know, you can do that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're asking everyone else to believe for you, look, I can't go. I can't go and ask my brother to go to the gym and work out for me. I can't do it. As much he can go and try and do it and he'll get real jacked and real quick and fit. But I'll stay in the same shape. Even if I watch him do it, I can't watch him exercise and expect the benefits. I can't sit back on my couch eating McDonald's and ask other people to diet and eat clean for me and expect to receive the benefits of diet, dieting and eating clean. I can't ask somebody else to breathe for me. Try it. You'll find out very quickly. You'll be, you'll, you'll have passed out. <laughs> you can't ask someone to breathe for you. And faith is to a Christian what breath is to a human. You can't live without it. Your Christian lifestyle is greatly determined. The quality you enjoy on this earth is greatly determined by the quality of faith you, you uh, produce in your life. I can't have someone eat for me. I can tell my wife, eat. Can you please eat for me for the next 45 days? And by day 40, which I believe is like the tops you can fast because Jesus fasted to 40 days and Moses fasted to 40 days. And that was pretty much you know, where they, Jesus afterward became hungry. Moses, in the presence of God, descended from Mount uh, Sinai after 40 days. So if I have her eat for 40 days, she's just, you know, she'll look well, but I'll look emaciated, and I don't even know if I'll still be alive day 45 at that point. In the same vein, you have to take responsibility in the development of your faith. I want you to write that out. as almost like a... Not a New Year's resolution, but a a, 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 a a confession of consecration to God. Let God know. God, I will take responsibility in developing my faith. Or just write, I will develop my faith. Just write that. I will develop my faith. That's right. So what are the four levels of faith? Number one, there's the no faith level. These are people... Who, who, who aren't even saved. They got zero faith. They, they don't even believe Jesus rose from the dead. They've maybe heard it. They've scoffed at it. They've mocked it. And those people never receive anything in life. The Bible says in James chapter 1, let him that asks anything of God ask in faith, for he that does not believe or doubts is like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. No faith, no results. No faith, no results. Num you know, and we can see that demonstrated in Mark chapter 4, verse 40. They're on a boat. The boat's starting to fill with water. There's a great storm. Jesus is sleeping in the stern. You know, faith will cause you to sleep when it's time to panic. And not sleep because you're lazy. Sleep because you know everything's going to be all right. He's sleeping in the stern. The stern. The disciples come to him and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And gee, obviously the disciples didn't understand why Jesus came to the earth because they asked him that question. Don't you care that we're perishing? If I were him, I would have replied, 
Don't you know why I'm here in the first place? God so loved the world, he didn't want you to perish, but to have everlasting life. But he just got up, rebuked the wind and the storm, and there was a perfect calm, and he looked to his disciples and he said, how is it that you still have no faith? Number one, the no faith level. Luke 18, the Bible talks about a widow who was persevering in going to the judge day after day, month after month, asking this unjust judge for justice from her adversary. And though the judge did not care about God, he didn't regard people, meaning he didn't care about people. He was a very selfish judge. Yet, he said to himself, I will give this widow justice from her adversary, lest she keeps coming to me and weary me out. Jesus looks to his crowd that he's speaking to and he says, hear what the unjust judge has just said. And shall not the God, so this is a guy who doesn't care about people. And he still said, if you'll persist like that, man, you know, just leave me alone. I'll slam the hammer in your favor. Go in peace. I've dealt with your case. If an unjust judge reacted that way, shall not the judge of the whole earth, the righteous judge, the judge who said in Proverbs uh, in Psalm 9, for the oppression of the, of the needy and the sign of the poor, now I shall arise and set him in the safety of, of which he yearns. If God who loves you so much that he didn't spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all. If that God hears your case, shall he not, the Bible says, avenge them speedily? Will he bear long? Meaning, will he take long to do it? No. But then verse, verse 18, or, or verse, yeah, verse 18, I think it is. Luke 18, no, it's Luke 18, 10. The Bible says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find this type of faith on the earth? So the no faith level, it, it ain't going to get you anything. Wouldn't even matter if Jesus himself appeared in your bedroom. If you refuse to believe, Jesus appeared in Nazareth. And the Bible says that... Uh, he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about in a circuit teaching in their villages. Number two, little faith. This little faith has little results. So they get to enjoy some things. They have small breakthroughs. They have little testimonies and stuff here and there. But uh, you might, we, they'd have to like trace back 10 years to identify the last big thing God did for them. Matthew 14, 22 and 23, Peter is asked by Jesus to step out of the boat, and he does. He starts off with great faith. But if you do nothing to add to your faith, that great faith can listen. If I choose not to read this Bible for the next two years, I'm not going to be at the same level of faith I am today. If I choose to not pray and not study the Word and not go to church for the next five years, I'm not going to be a strong Christian. I'm not, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very wavering and it's going to be, you know, they always think backsliding is some sudden, some sudden event. Like one day you're casting out devils and raising the dead. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, man, I think I don't even love God anymore. That's not how backsliding goes. My mentor in the faith evangelist, Tiff Shuttlesworth, he says backsliding is a slow and steady decrease 
It's likened unto a tire. A tire can have a little tiny hole in it, and you might not feel that hole as you're driving for a little while. But you'll see as you keep driving, the tire begins to decompress to the point where now you're riding on your rim and it's too late, your tire's ripped, and you're on the side of the road seeking roadside assistance. That's how fast, that's how, um, that's how fast things can get. But it's not some overnight thing. So you have to add to your faith. Peter started off well. He stepped out of the boat and he began to walk on water. He walked on water. And people like to criticize him because he, he sank. But I mean, how many of you have walked on water? I commend him. I'd love to one day pick up the, go into the filming room of heaven, pick up the, 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 the DVD that has that on record and just watch, watch his reaction. I'm sure it would have been funny. Just him stepping out and then like, whoa, didn't expect that to happen. But then there came some boisterous winds and a storm arose. And Peter took his, this is what little faith does. Little faith, if all the circumstances are perfect, little faith can actually get to the end. But if there's one slight miscalculation if there's a storm that rises if there's too much heat if there's too much trial if there's a little bit of trouble and a little bit of steering of the waters little faith doesn't have within it the capacity to make it to the end he looked at the storms he looked at the boisterous winds he looked and he he felt the wind beating against him and he took his eyes off jesus and that's when gravity lost its hold on him and he began to sink he began to sink. Little faith has little results. Matthew 6, Jesus says, you're not to worry about your life, about what your, your body, what you should eat, what you should put on. And he says, look at the lilies of the field, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Shall not God much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Little faith. Little faith is constantly about, they're always battling in the arena of reason. Well, I know what the Word of God says, but, you know, there shouldn't be, I know what the Word of God says, and then but, that follows that. It should be, I know what the Word of God says, and that settles it. I've obeyed, I've followed through, and I shall see the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. In Jesus' name. Number three. Number three level of faith is strong faith. I talked about Abraham before. He grew strong in faith, nothing wavering, for he considered him faithful who had promised. He was fully persuaded. What God, strong faith has its root in a conviction that God's word has the final say and authority in anything in life. He was fully persuaded. He was more persuaded of God's ability to pull through than even nature's ability to keep him and his wife infertile. Strong faith is absolutely convinced not only of God's ability, not only of God's willingness, but of God's willingness to do it for me. Number four, great faith. Great faith and I'll read this one in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you know, it's funny how people, I read, I'm taking out my Bible today. I, 
some streams, I, I might not take out my Bible and I just, you know, I quoted like 400 scriptures and you still get people that write into you and say, you know, you really don't, you really don't speak the word too often. If, if this is not speaking the word too often, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to just begin in Genesis 1-1 and just literally recite till Revelation chapter 22? Chapter 21, whatever it ends in. People, you know, they always have something to say. So I'm going to open up my Bible. Satisfied that crowd tonight. Today. Matthew chapter 5. Sorry, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And beginning with verse 21. And Jesus went out from Tyre and departed to the region of Tyre. And, from there, sorry, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. If you're just joining me now, uh, just now, I'd be gr greatly encouraged and helped if you'd share the broadcast. Thanks for everyone who's taking their time uh, on this Thursday afternoon. If you're in, Can in uh, the East Coast or if you're in the West Coast this Thursday morning to be with me. I, I pray this is being a great blessing to you. If it is, if it's of any value to you, please share it. It'll help others. Matthew 15 and verse 21. And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But Jesus answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out for us. She cries out after us. You know, religious mindset is always trying to deflect responsibility to others she came to get help and what are the disciples doing uh, can you just send her away if you're watching right now i feel strongly there's people watching right now you've been ignored by a pastor you've been ignored by a minister you've been you've had a terrible experience in a church where they really you know, you came, you needed healing in your body or some impossible situation. And all they did was like deflect your their attention. They were like a glorified politician. Ask one question and then just go revolve their whole answer around something that's not even relevant to the question. If that's you, I'm here to tell you, lose. that's not Christ's attitude towards you. That is not the heart of God for you. If that's you and you've totally distanced yourself from Christianity as a result, I hate that they're all the same, all those ministers. They're not all the same. You're looking at a minister that loves you. You're looking at an evangelist that cares for you. You're looking at someone who's invested his life to help people. And I tell you, if nobody's ever told you, I love you and most of all, God loves you, and get your eyes on the negative experiences you've had and look to Jesus. See Jesus as he really is. Because time and time again, you're going to see people in this book that have been ignored by man. The Pharisees. Jesus had no problem with sinners. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus spent his whole ministry directed towards sinners. The Bible says that Pharisees were irritated because he sat with tax, tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. There was a woman that came into a Pharisee's house while Jesus was reclining at his table, and she began to pour out her, 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 uh, her, her alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She, she had perfume, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair, and with the water that was formed, she washed his feet. And the Pharisees reasoned within himself, if this guy were a prophet, he would know what kind of filthy person that person was. And what did Jesus do? He perceived by the word of knowledge what she was saying, what, what that man was saying in his heart. And he said, you know, when I came into your house, 
You didn't give me any water to anoint my head. You didn't give me any oil to anoint my feet. You didn't, you didn't give me any respect. This lady has not ceased to do what you didn't do. And I tell you, though her sins are many, they are greatly forgiven. He, cared. he had compassion on the multitudes. He had eyes to see past the smile into the hurting heart. You might have fooled people with your smile, but God sees that hurting heart. And the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For He has anointed me to give recovery of sight to the blind and to mend the brokenhearted. That power called the Holy Spirit is going to mend your broken heart. And I pray He's going to give you eyes to see from His Word the Jesus of the Bible. Not some... North American fashion Jesus. Not some new modern, new age type of Jesus. No, the Jesus of the Bible. The one who, when he was led as a lamb to the shearers, when he was on his way to the cross, when he had every opportunity to open his mouth and call out for 12 legions of angels, that if one angel in the Old Testament had the power to eliminate 185,000 people on the earth in the Assyrian army, how much more do you suppose? 12 legions of angels would have been able to do to the human race. And yet he still opened not his mouth. He could have at any time said, Father, send the angels. It's enough. But he didn't. He didn't stop until he said it was finished. And he gave up the ghost. He shed blood. He took a crown of thorns. If he did all that for you, quit believing the lie of the devil. That he's not happy, happy with you. God's angry at you. God is angry with the wicked every day. You know, who's a, there's a distinction between a wicked person and a sinner. A wicked person is someone who has literally consciously, deliberately, and intentionally partnered with hell to make man's life miserable. They are people who, who know that they're doing wrong in selling drugs. People that are, they know, you know, a lot of politicians fall under this category where they, they're making background deals with other nations that they know are going to suppress their own nations. They know they're, they're, you know, abortion industry. They know it's wrong. There's no way. You can observe an abortion and still think that that's not sucking out a human being. The abortion industry, that's wicked. And God will deal very differently with the abortion industry than He will with someone who went to get an abortion who's lost and who's scared and afraid. He'll deal very differently with the one who's supporting, financing, and promoting Planned Parenthood cl uh, clinics than he is with somebody who, who, who's like, you know, who stumbled and messed up. Both are very wrong. Both are sin. But one is wicked and one is vulnerable. You know, the guy that's using the drugs is sinning. The guy who's made it his point to make money. A wicked person is usually interested in the money he's bringing in by binding others by satanic affliction. It doesn't, you know, most people that sell drugs don't even do drugs. They know what it does to people. But they sell it because it makes them rich. They're more interested in their wallet than they are in helping people. That guy is going to be dealt with very differently than someone who's bought the drugs and is sinning, and is, is addicted. So if you're under the wicked category, you need to repent. 
If you're under the sinner's category, you still need to repent, but understand God's not angry with you. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn man's life. He came into the world to save humanity. Read the Bible. Was he going around? Did he see Mary Magdala, who out of whom had cast out seven spirits, and some people think she was actually a harlot? Did he encounter Mary Magdala and have his hands like this? And You know, you're what a wretched human being you are. And you think you're going to get my help? You got yourself in the ditch? Get yourself out. Thank you very much. Or was it quite the opposite? You got yourself in the... The gospel isn't you got yourself in the problem. Now, learn to deal with it. And one day I'll come back and I'll get you out. No. The gospel is you might have fallen into the ditch. But I'm here to help. And now that Jesus is in heaven, he's anointed ministers like me and Christians like you. And if you're a minister watching, you're anointed to do, to continue the work that Christ started while he was on the earth. Or was I? Great faith. So that was all pretty much off this one scripture. But if that's you, I pray that that helped you. You feel like you've been shunned by men. You might have been shunned by men, but God's here to help you today. God's going to set you back on your feet. The worst days you've ever had are not going to continue. Today you're entering into the best chapter of your life. As you join hands with Jesus, you're going to write the next chapters of your life, co-authored with God. And they're not going to be days of hell on earth. They're going to be days of heaven on earth in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe that for yourself, just type out, Amen. Send her away, for she cries out after us. It ticks me off when people do that. But he answered her and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. He answered her and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, So understand, Jesus said, I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His, the salvation of God is to the Jew first. He had to give the Jews an opportunity to repent, believe, and claim him as messiah before he opened up the door to the gentiles so when she when um when jesus the bible says answered her not a word it wasn't because he was trying to ignore her like the disciples were trying to send her away it was because it wasn't it wasn't the time yet chronologically now don't go off and say well you know how I many of you know god will heal you but he has it in his timing that's not what i'm trying to get at from this story when jesus when jesus in the book of Acts, through the life of Paul, assigns him as a chosen vessel to open up the door of faith to the Gentiles, that, that started the, uh, the beginning of Gentile believers. So it's not so that Gentiles can partake of the redemptive package, healing for their bodies, forgiveness of sins, and all that. So now that it's been open, now that that door is open, Jesus is not saying in my own timing anymore. No. God's timing for healing is 2,000 years ago when Christ died on that cross and took stripes on his back. There are certain things that it's in God's timing, like the vision of God for your life. Write the vision down. Vision down. Read it and run with it. Though it tarries, it will speak in the end. There are things. Some things in the plan of God aren't going to unfold for you right away. You know, though your beginnings are small, keep at it. Your, your latter end shall be greatly increased. Abraham, 
uh, there was a process to it. But when it comes to things like healing, there's no, there's no better time to get healed. And there's no more, uh, God's not going to be more willing to heal you tomorrow than He is willing to heal you today. So we're not pushing those things off. But there are certain things in God's master plan that, that, that could take time. And healing is not one of those things. And he said, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat from the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus answered and said, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you have desired. Great faith gets what it wants when it wants. This lady was before her time. It wasn't time yet for the Gentile kingdom to be recipients of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, because of her persistent faith, she wouldn't let go. Her great faith, the Bible says, she got what she wanted. Let it be done to you as you desire. The Bible says, let it be done to you as you desire. Great faith gets the desires of their heart, as long as, of course, they're in line with God's will. Matthew chapter 8, there's a centurion that comes to Jesus. Master, come sends a delegate of people, come and lay your hands on my servant. He's dying and dreadfully tormented, paralyzed. And he says, I will go. Jesus is on his way. And the centurion meets him and says, don't even come any closer. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. I'm a man like, I, I'm a man under authority. And I have servants under, uh, under my authority. And I can say to one, go and he goes into this one, come and he comes. I understand how authority works. Just speak the word, and I know my servant will be healed. What did, what did Jesus do? Oh, that's that, you know, that's that name it, claim it, confession crowd, aren't you? You know, I, I told you to keep clean from those. No, he actually marveled and turned to the Jewish people. Remember, this centurion's not a Jewish person. He's a Gentile believer, once again. And Jesus turns to the crowd behind him and says, Whoa, I have not found such faith, not even in Israel. And he turns to the centurion and says, Great is your faith. As you have believed, it shall be done to you. You notice that last verse? As you have believed, so let it be done unto you. That means your life is going to be a product of what you've believed, what you trust. If you believe the enemy's report, your life will be played and filled with demonic networking and activity. If you believe God's report, your life will be filled with good reports. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. Number five, in the last section, is the spirit of faith. So I'll go through the five levels of faith. One is no faith. Two is little faith. Three is strong faith. Four is great faith, and five is the spirit of faith. This is the God kind of faith. This is when you operate by the spirit on the same level of faith God operated in when he created the earth. The Bible says in Mark eleven twenty two and 23, Have the faith of God. For if you should say unto this mountain, Be thou uprooted and be cast into the sea, and you don't doubt, in your heart, the God kind of faith is totally absent of doubt or unbelief. It's the purest form of faith. And if you'll have faith, 
You, and not doubt in your heart. Jesus said you will speak. So that type of faith is a speaking faith. The God kind of faith is a speaking faith. If you don't, if your faith doesn't have a sound, it won't have a sign. A soundless Christian is a signless Christian. The Bible says in Thessalonians, the, the, word of the, Lord has, the word of the Lord has gone forth and has gone throughout this earth. Your voice is heard in all the earth. The God kind of faith has a voice to it. It's expressed through the words that you speak. You, you let me spend an hour with you without you knowing I'm there, and I'll know if you're in faith or not based on the words you speak. You know, I, I, I'm not too bright. I've never been the smartest guy. You, you obviously don't believe God's report that says you have the mind of Christ, so you're confessing how you feel and what you've been instead of changing. Do you understand the reason why I'm doing this today is because faith has the capacity to change your world? Faith in God has the ability. It's the, the most unused power on earth, and yet it's the most essential power in changing your world. It can change your life personally. It can change the course and the direction your family's going in. It can change the course of a community. It can change the course of a city. It can change the course of a region. It can change the course of a state or a province. And it can change the course of a nation and a generation. How do I know? Joshua and Caleb had another spirit. Yes, the giants are big. Yes, there are many obstacles. But if God is on our side, the giants will be like bread for us to eat. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. If the Lord your God is with you, the Bible says no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Look at Caleb who had this spirit of faith operating in him. How do we know that? Because the Bible says in the book of Numbers chapter 14 that they had another spirit. So unbelief is a spirit. If you're constantly drawn towards unbelief, constantly negative, con and, 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 you're, and you're, you're like trying to change your confession, but there's constant drawing towards that, that negativity, that pessimism, uh, negative reports, bad reports, then that's a spirit of unbelief. I'm not saying you're demonized or, uh, or demon-possessed rather, but I am saying that there's a spirit of unbelief operating there. That's what the ten spies did. They heard Moses' words. They saw the great land. But the, the spirit of unbelief will draw you and navigate you to why things won't happen. There are plenty of people I know that are like this. You ask them to get one thing done, and you know what they do? They give you every obstacle they're going to face in the way of getting that thing done. You know, in this ministry, we, we haven't hired anyone yet. But once we start hiring people, if I ask somebody to, you know, can I get this, this thing done? And they say, well, yeah, but look, here's how it's going to be difficult. Da, 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 da. And it's like, I didn't ask you what you're, the, the obstacles you're going to face. Just get the thing done. In the same vein, that's what the spirit of unbelief does. It, it looks at how things probably won't work out instead of looking to how things have worked out in times past. And as such, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, it'll work out for you. The ten spies says, we, will, we can by no means obtain it. You know what the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, did? Who saw this? So it's not like two of the spies had their eyes closed to what difficulties they would have to endure. 
and the other 10 spies were just realists. No, they all saw the same things. But two of the spies had something in their, a, a different spirit. We can by all means enter in and possess the land because God said we're going to get it done. So, all that to say, Caleb, in Joshua 14, he's 85 years old, and he maintained that same spirit. 85 years old. I mean, 85, if you're 85, and you have some difficulty walking, you know, you're 85 years old. He's 85, and he tells Joshua, this is the mountain that God has given me to inherit. I still haven't received it. And he tells Joshua, I am as strong today as I was when I was 40 to go and fight this battle. Not to, you know, to wake up in the morning and put my dentures on. I'm as strong today as I was for, when I was 40 to fight. Give me now this mountain. And it wasn't like it was a beautifully paved, touristy mountain where they have paved roads and steps when things got difficult. No, it was a mountain with roses and thorns and rocks and dirt. And he got dirty and there was certain areas where he had to lift his legs real high and get uncomfortable and stuff. And yet Caleb is saying, I'm as strong today and I'm going to, I'm going to climb that mountain. And then when I'm done climbing it, any nation that's still inhabiting it, I'm going to disarm them and fight again. I mean, the guy's a raging lunatic. What got him to speak that way? It's the spirit of faith. I prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ, that spirit called faith is coming alive in you today. You can't spend an hour with me on this broadcast talking about this subject, just scripture after scripture, and leave this broadcast the same way you entered into it. That spirit called faith, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, we having the same spirit of faith as they had, they believed and therefore spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. God's faith, that God kind faith is getting into your heart today. And as you believe, it's not going to be a hard thing to start speaking. In the face of adversity, your mouth shall continue to say, no, but my God shall. The Bible says when men are saying there's a casting down, you shall say there is a lifting up. Just like David, hallelujah. Psalm 3, the Bible says, many are they who safe of me. There is no help for him in God. Many are my adversaries. Many are they who line up against me. He didn't deny the obstacle, but David said, but I will say of the Lord, you are my crown. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. You are my defender. You are my champion. You are he who makes every crooked way straight. You are he who makes a way where there is no way. You are he who is the dreaded champion who stands by me that though the enemy come in one way, he shall flee seven ways. That's the confession. You're not going to waver from that confession. You're going to hold fast that confession of faith. And as he who promised is faithful, he shall bring it to pass in the mighty mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to write that out in the comment section. I have the, the spirit of faith. I have the spirit of faith. I have the spirit of faith. Hallelujah. Man, if you have to run and jump, you go ahead and do that. You notice that even if you came into this broadcast and you felt down and you felt discouraged and you felt heavy laden, 
all of a sudden you feel light? What do you think that is? The entrance of his word brings light. And that light shines out darkness. And darkness can't do anything about it. The word of God is it. Proverbs 4. Let me get in very quickly. And I'm going to release a video either tomorrow tomorrow or sometime this week. But I want to, I want to at least cover four ways to increase your faith. Four ways to increase your faith. Four practical steps you can take today that will increase your faith so that what you're feeling right now, you can actually continue to feel that. It doesn't have to be a sensation. No, you can actually continue to operate in this. I'm not saying there's, you're always going to feel this like energy running through. There's going to be times where you might not feel anything, but there'll be something in you that no matter what you feel, you won't change your, your confession. So let me give you four practical ways because a lot of times we can talk about faith we can motivate people to to want faith and desire faith but then they don't even tell people how to increase your faith so what's the point i want to show you how you can grow your faith and first and foremost i need you to understand that your faith can grow your faith can grow second thessalonians one and three listen to this we are bound to thank god always for you brethren as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly your faith shouldn't stay stagnant. Your faith should grow. So like I talked about the five levels of faith, if you're at the little faith level, don't condemn yourself. Don't, don't think that you, you know, you're screwed up. That's the worst thing you can do for yourself because it's just going to rip out any drive to actually go and cultivate faith. Don't get mad at yourself. Don't, you know, I should have more faith by now. I, I know I, no, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. Nobody's mad at you. The only one that's going to get mad at you is the devil when you start to actually take the steps to grow that faith. But who cares if he's mad? He's been mad. He's a grumpy old man. He's a, a dumb being. He's been mad since, the cre since, since he fell. But remember, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And Jesus said, you have power over him and all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means harm you. So who cares if he's mad? Get him mad. He should be mad. He's going to hell. You can grow your faith. Four ways. Practical ways. To increase your faith. Number one, this is a given. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. Number one, the word of God in front of you, read, studied, will develop the measure of faith you have and let it grow into something you never thought imaginable. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 and 20, 20 and 22, the Bible says, My son, let these words never depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Let them never depart from your sight. Keep it in the midst of your heart for it will be life to those who find it. What's that life? It's that faith life. The just shall live by faith. You're, those who find it, that life shall be in them. That faith life. It infuses the God order of life in you. The divine nature. Uh, 2 Peter 1.3 The Bible says very clearly. As His divine nature has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we now are partakers of that divine nature by these great and magnificent promises. So faith comes by hearing the word of God. Wigglesworth was a great man of faith because he listened, kept the word, 
ever before him. Lester Sumrall talks about an encounter the first time he went to Wigglesworth's house. Listen to this. You want to know why he was an unusual man? Because he took unusual steps. You want to know why he was an extraordinary specimen that I've studied? If you look behind me, I've got books on, on him and by him. It's because he took extraordinary steps. Lester Sumrall walks into his house. First of all, he gets to the door. He had a newspaper under his arm and he knocks on Smith Wigglesworth's door. Smith Wigglesworth answered the door and he had a nice suit on. He had a, 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 his hair coiffed beautifully. He always was like excellent. He always, you know, the way you feel in your spirit is actually going to manifest outwardly. When you're strong spiritually, you're going to take time to take care of yourself outwardly. He, he looked good. He looked nice. You know, he was coiffed. He, he kept his appearance nice. And uh, he saw Lester Sumrall and he said, what's that under your arm? He said, that's the daily paper, Brother Wigglesworth. He said, toss it. This is a house of truth. No lies will be allowed in it. So Lester Sumrall was like, man, we just met. And he, he's already rebuking me. So he tossed it in the bushes next to him and he walked into the house. He grabs his little like pocket Bible. He says, sit down. I mean, just took authority. Not that he was like a, a bad, angry person. But he, he wanted to impart into Lester Sumrall what he had before he died. So he says, sit down. Sumrall sits down and he said he read for 30 minutes from the Bible. Just read and exhorted here different points. Then when he stopped after 30, 45 minutes, he said, bow your head. Let's pray. So he started to pray. And <laughs> Lester Sumrall is like confused at this point. Like, what did I get myself into? Finally, after praying for like half an hour, he picks up his Bible again and begins to exhort from the Word for, a, for f another 30 minutes. And he says, shut your, shut your eyes, close, bow your head. Prays another half an hour. And he gets up and he says, I'm hungry, let's go and eat. So they talk and they're eating, they're having dinner, uh, lunch together. And his daughter Alice Wigglesworth was there serving them and stuff. And then uh, Smith Wigglesworth literally just gets up and walks to the chamber, his, better, his bedroom. And uh, Lester, he didn't say anything, just gets up and walks to his bedroom. Lester Sumrall's like, will he be back? And Alice, his daughter, says, no, he's retired for the afternoon. You should come back tomorrow. And he left that place. And he, was, he said, I left the house, closed the door behind me, and took a turn onto the street. And I walked down the street, scratching my head, wondering what in the world just happened? I've never met, he's met pastors, he's met ministers, many of them. And he said, I've never met anyone like that. And he was, he was like literally thinking, he said in his book, I don't think I'm going to go back. I, I, he, he was like scared of going back. And you know what? He said, when I turned the corner after walking one block, I realized something was different in me. He realized I am not the same person anymore. Something was imparted into my spirit that I can't quite explain or define. Faith might not be definable, but it can be definitely felt and held. And, 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 and you can know that you have faith. You don't have to wonder, well, I hope I have faith. You can know it's a living force drawn from the living word that produces living results. Number one, the word of God. Number two, listening to testimonies that are backed by the Word of God. So just having a testimony, God healed me, whatever, that's not going to produce faith. But if that testimony is backed by God's Word and Scriptures as to why 
You know, that person says, I got healed because I stood on X, Y, and Z, scriptures found in the word. That'll build your faith. You know, I, I tell testimonies when I preach because some people think that their problem is some uncommon problem and that, you know, God's never dealt with that. It's something new for heaven. So God actually has to organize a backroom meeting with a few angels and discover how we're going to deal with this as if God has been backed up into a corner. So what do I do? I, I tell crazy testimonies. There was a guy uh, in Saskatchewan. He had, he had a, a heart disorder. I forget what it's called, some long word. And it, pretty much he was born with the inner lining of his heart was too thick. It was overly thick. And as such, he couldn't pump, he couldn't pump blood throughout his heart, uh, throughout his body from his heart as efficiently as, uh, as a, a normal person could do or someone who has a normal heart. So he would get out of breath doing basic activities. So if he like swept the floor and he'd be out of breath, he, he'd have to sit down for like five, 10 minutes to recuperate his breath. If he went out one afternoon and came home, he would have to like, he said, I'd have to actually sleep sometimes up to five to eight hours just to regain energy to continue the rest of the day. So that's not the type of life you want to live. Well, he comes into that meeting and uh, at the end, I, I was preaching on Christ the healer. He comes up and I, I immediately, by the word of knowledge, knew there was something up with his heart. There was nothing outwardly. He looked like a normal human being. It's not like he was like 900 pounds and you can tell he had a, a couple of things wrong with him. He looked like a normal guy. Just He was like 60, in maybe late 50s. I said, sir, put your head on your, on your heart. And as you do, God's going to put a new heart in your body. And when he heard me say that, he and I never met him before. It's not like the pastor gives me background checks of every person that's in their church. That's the Spirit of God. And the Bible says the gifts of the Spirit, they oftentimes will work together. So the word of knowledge comes forth, and then the gift of faith will come on the person, and then that will release a working of miracles. It's like a, throwing a stone in a pond. It's like a ripple effect. One releases another, and then another, and another. He gets hit by the power of God. That's it, that night. Nothing else happens. I, I keep moving, praying for others. Two, three nights later, he comes to testify. Since that night, I went home that night because I, you know, let me test this. Let me test it. If something really happened, if I have a new heart, I shouldn't be able to run. He runs around his house for like two minutes and stops running. And he realizes he's not out of breath. He's not, he doesn't feel like he has to nap. He felt energy even after running. So he said, man, something's different. The next morning, he said, he set his alarm for 5 a.m., 6 a.m. He said, I woke up and I did everything I've been wanting to do. I did work on my house. I went to the bank. I cashed some checks. I did everything I've always wanted to do, grocery shopping. I had to ha he had to have other people do all those things for him. And now he did everything he wanted to do. He couldn't hold a job because, I mean, what employer is going to hire you if you tell him, hey, Listen, uh, I won't be able to stay all eight hours. I might be able to do one hour tops. And if at any time I need to go to the bathroom, I probably won't return because I'll be out of breath and I'll just take a nap there on the toilet bowl. You know, like who's going to ever hire you? He, the next, he said from 5 a.m. till that night service, which he came to the night service, he had like, an abnormal amount of energy. He didn't have to take a nap throughout the day. He was like his old, like a normal old self, just you know, well, first of all, he was born with that. So he never actually experienced that. But that day, things turned for him. He, he felt like a normal human being at that point. And then the next night, the next night is when he testified. And it had been three days 
of total normal living because of one encounter. So that testimony, that testimony, when I tell it now, it produces faith in others so that if you have a heart condition, if you have, you know, heart palpitations or uh, clogged arteries or whatever, God not only can unclog your arteries, if it's uncloggable, whatever is not repairable, God can replace. If it's incurable, God can recreate. Number two, listening to testimonies. The Samaritan woman is a perfect example of that. In John chapter 4, she has an encounter with Jesus at the well and then goes into her town and tells her testimony and they all come out to hear Jesus. Number three, listening to preaching. Listening to anointing, anointed preaching. I do this all the time. I've got great men of God, Summer all on. John Osteen, I listen uh, to a lot. John, the founder of Lakewood Church, an amazing Holy Ghost Pentecostal preacher. I listen to guys like um, my mentor, Tiff Shuttlesworth. I listen to guys in a lot of guys in Africa that are phenomenal preachers and exhorters of the word that feed my spirit. The Bible says you are nourished, nourished in the words of faith. Listening to preaching. You know why preaching is important? Because, well, first of all, Paul said in Romans 16, 25, now according to my gospel, now may God establish you, sorry, according to my gospel and my preaching. So listening to preaching, it's not just, you're not just getting a, an intake of the word, but the word with understanding. Not just the word, but the word with understanding. It's important. To have understanding of what you're reading. The Bible says a man who has no understanding, it, he shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Meaning even if you're reading the Bible, if you don't understand it, your life is going to look no different than someone else who's spiritually dead. Acts 14. A man at Lystra is impotent, lame, from his mother's womb, never walked. Paul is preaching. Obviously, he's preaching. He's not just talking about making heaven because the man has faith to be healed. And the scripture says he had faith to be healed. And Paul, seeing that faith, he told him to stand up on his feet and he stood up and was healed. So listening to uh, faith-filled messages on healing. Now, that's an important thing to know. Not every preacher preaches Bible. And I, I think that's pretty obvious. Not every preacher is talking doctrine. They talk experience. Run. Run. If all they do is talk about their experience, run. It needs to be scripture-based experience if there's any experience. If all they do is talk about you know, their tragedy in life and how, you know, I know what the word says, but do you remember Job? First of all, understand Job. Job was, there was like one, there was the Noahic covenant when Job was alive. That's it. There was no covenant with Abraham. There was no covenant because though it's in the middle of your Bible, Job uh, chronologically takes place before Abraham. That's what studies show. So you can't say I'm like Job. And even if you were like Job, which you're not, because Job cried out, if my Redeemer were here, he would stop this. Well, did our Redeemer come? Yes, He came and He left and He now lives in our heart. And even if you want to be Job, at the end of an 18-month ordeal, the Bible says Job was restored double everything he had lost. 
So instead of focusing on the bad things that happened to Job, why don't you focus on, yes, it's scriptural to be challenged in life, but it's unscriptural to be defeated. That all things are going to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So listening to preaching will, will, will stimulate faith. And then number four, you need to guard your heart against foreign reports. Set a guard over your heart. Don't just intake. Watch what you listen to. Watch the music you listen to. Not every Christian song is, uh, is, should be listened to. A lot of it is just, you know, why things didn't work out for me and, you know, but I'm still hanging on and stuff. Why are you going to listen to that? If any time David, at any time in his Psalms, says that he was being challenged, there were adversaries, it never ended there. There's adversaries and uh, people are challenging me. Saul's out to kill me. But, uh, you know, hopefully it'll work out one day. No, he says, why so downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God. You're going to praise him for the help of his countenance. Always, there's always a punch of faith. There's always a, a turnaround. There's always, yes, things might be doing, going like this right now. However, I know my God will make a way. He makes a way. In a wilderness. He makes a, a path to walk in, in, in the wilderness. He makes fountains to burst forth out of dry ground. And I pray in the name of Jesus, as this faith comes alive in you today, that that seemingly impossible obstacle is getting leveled in the name of Jesus Christ in your life. You're being healed right now by the power of God in Jesus' name. You're being restored. Your marriage is being restored. Your relationship with your children, supernaturally, the angels of God are being dispatched to orchestrate restoration in the area of your family in the name of Jesus Christ. Your passion for God is being reunited now in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you're watching right now, all this is meaningless unless you first have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that all you have to do to be justified before His sight. Justified, what does that mean? Just if I'd never sinned, to be sinless before Him, to be perfect in God's eyes, is to believe on Jesus and what He's done for you at that cross. Jesus, why did He have to die? You know, people always say, Jesus died for you. Why did He die? Because there's a sin stain on every human being that could not be cleansed. There was no detergent. There was no launderer. There was no uh, laundromat. There was no uh, soap and water that was able to wipe off that stain off the human race. Only the blood of Jesus has the capacity to cleanse us from all sin and to, 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 to give us God's righteousness. That's why you need to be, sin, uh, to be saved. That's why Jesus needed to be to be crucified. That's why he laid his life of his own initiative and of his own, his own will. Nobody killed Jesus. Nobody, nobody killed, the Romans did not kill Jesus. The devil did not kill Jesus. Jesus said, I lay my life down of myself, of my own volition, because I love the human race and I don't want to see them go to hell. Hell was not made for you, my brother and sisters. Hell was made for the devil and his demons. God made heaven for you. God, Jesus said, how do we know that? Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't tell you. But I have gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, I can receive you to myself and you shall be with me forever. You can do three things today. Number one, you can reject this message 
and continue living the way you've been living. Number two, you can say, I'm not quite ready. And you risk the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ happening. Or, you know, if you're not under the covenant of God, anything can happen. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So don't let that be you. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the time to be saved. Or number three, you can do what I want you to do. And I believe you should do right now. Is you should get right with God. Make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Say to Him, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm repenting of sin. I'm turning away from lawlessness. I'm a new creature now because of what you've done. That sounds like you. I want you to pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I repent of all sin. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me white as snow. Though my sins were as scarlet, make them white as wool. I don't want a renovated life. Give me a brand new start with you. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. I confess he is my Lord and my Savior. And I'll live for him forever. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. I'm a new creature. And I'm never turning back. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.